welcome to episode 100 of Dipped in Tone. Whoa. I'm Rhett. I'm Zach. The, dude, can you believe this? 100 episodes? I know. It, uh, it seems like we should have hit 100 a long time ago, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But We've it, been doing it, this for, what, three years? Four, almost four years a now? A little over three years. It's, it's pretty crazy. It's, uh, it's, it's always... Um, well, we'll get into it, but it's, it's, I'm just so glad that we have this in the community and like in the guitar space, we have this podcast, which is a lot different than a lot of other shows. And I feel like it, it gives, uh, it, it gives people a bit of, you know, insight that they might not get from other shows. So it's yeah. really glad yeah. we can do it. Glad we're here, man. Glad yeah. to be here with you. I'm glad you used to do those, uh, those Instagram live streams that I would <laughs> crash and, and it was just like, Oh, what do we start a podcast, dude? You, you know, know, it's a shame that that there's no archive. I know you can archive some live streams, but not that far ago. Uh, I wish we still had some of those because that would have yeah. been fun to to share. But we both survived Nam. Uh, you sound a little better than I do, but h- how you doing? I'm good, man. I think I've managed to avoid the Nam Thrax, which um, knock on wood, I have officially never gotten sick from Nam, and I've this is my fifth or sixth nam so right i mean i must be doing something right washing the hands hand sanitizer all that stuff yeah i uh i felt fine until like the day after i got home and then my my voice started i I, I didn't get my voice back Mm. and my throat has been sore but i feel fine otherwise so i don't know i i don't know what i have but me matthew and Jeff all are kind of in this boat. Morgan's fine, and she was there the whole time. So I don't know, but uh, man, I'm glad to be home. That's for sure. Man, I had a good time. Nam is is all about the hang for me. I mean, I, I specifically did not plan anything. I didn't schedule any meetings. You know, last year at Nam, I was like wheeling and dealing and trying to hustle and like get a bunch of stuff done. And it was productive, but I realized, you know, anything that I want to get done at the show can just be an email. Right. Like there's sure for me, I'm not a vendor. I'm not a dealer. I'm just there hanging out. And the best part of Nam is getting to see your friends and hang out. And honestly, a lot of the conversations I had with people like in my YouTube circle and, and just sort of opened my mind up to changing how we do things around here over the next year. And that is genuinely the most valuable part of Nam for me. It's just the hang and having the conversations with the people. Right. And I saw a totally different side of it this time. Um, seeing as this was my first time having a solo booth in Anaheim. But before we get into that, uh, first off, let's thank all of our Patreons over or our patrons over on Patreon. Man, that's confusing. Uh, if you want to uh, learn more about supporting the show, click the link below or in the show notes um, and check out all the stuff over on Patreon. And um, yeah, learn more about being a a dipster or whatever you want to call yourself. <laughs> it's up to you. In, yeah. In that community. Yeah. Uh, and also we want to thank the sponsor of today's episode, which is Stumac. Click the link in the description, stumac.com slash dipped in tone. Go pick up some, uh, some guitar maintenance stuff. We're, you know, we're not, ha- are we halfway through winter yet? I don't know. At least down <sighs> no, I South. Know. I mean, the end is, is in sight. So we're, we're getting gearing up for a season change here, which, as you know, typically means guitars need a little TLC as humidity level changes, temperatures change. Uh, so yeah, dipped in tone. Sorry, stumac.com slash dipped in tone. And uh, thank you, Stumac, for sponsoring today's episode. How do we want to approach this NAM conversation? Because 
like I said, we both had very, I mean, we hung out a lot, uh, like we always do, but we both saw very different sides of the show because I roamed a bit, but my ankles were pretty much tied to booth 5049. Well, I want to hear your side of it because, you know, for me, it was sort of business as usual with Nam, but this was your first time really spending time on the floor as a vendor with your own booth. So, which if we rewind back to eight months ago, nine months ago, when we came home from the last name and you said, yeah, I'm going to have a booth. I was shocked because I thought for sure you had completely sworn off maybe even attending Nam, but certainly not even having a booth. So why, why did you decide to do it? And was it a success? Yeah. So I think like one of the things that we both saw at, at April, um, last year's Nam was, it was just a big turnout. It felt more like normal Nam, at least maybe like 2019, 2020 Nam. Um, cause well, a return to that. Uh, I think 2020 was, was like the last big year right before, you know, lockdown. And then of course there was the, the weird summer things and stuff, but it, it felt like all of my friends who was, who, who had a standalone booth for the past Nam, they all said it was, it was worth it. Which oddly enough, guys like Jam and the people I was hanging out with the most, they didn't come back. Uh, <laughs> but I thought, you know, if they said it's worth it, if uh, guys like Eli and all these people who, you know, have been going forever say it's worth it, uh, Eli of Two Rock, of course, then maybe we should try it. And in the grand scheme of things, it is expensive. You know, a lot of people say how expensive it is. And, and for a guys like our size buying a 10 by 10 booth, you can you can you can lose your shirt quick, and it was not cheap, but it's way different than what like JHS and those guys were doing back in the day because they were buying like you know, like a city block basically, yeah. and yeah. and setting up a booth, which that is is remarkably expensive. But you know, I think my biggest hope was we've worked so hard, worked worked hard on Dipped in Tone. I've worked hard on on my YouTube channel and, and Instagram, and I feel like the brand has been elevated enough to where it warrants having our own space. So Matthew and I just sat down, crunched the numbers and said, look, this, we have enough money to do this. So let's do it. And if we get this many dealers, it will have been worth it. And I think all in all, it was worth it. But the, the experience of Nam, it, for those listening that might have a brand or whatever, and you're thinking about doing a trade show of any sort, uh, you really have to put in your due diligence before you even like, you know, months ahead. So people know you're there. So Matthew had spent months uh, cultivating emails and relationships with people so that when we got there every day, pretty much every day was, um, uh, you know, chock full of meetings and just face-to-face interactions with people who we had only spoken to via email. So that hopefully is going to amount to new dealers, new artists, people like that, because you don't know, because like old school now, people would like order stuff on the floor. You don't really do that anymore. Um, so time will tell when the invoices flow in, if these dealers open us up. But the first impressions are really good. We felt like we got a lot of really good dealers, a lot of really strong dealers in places in the world we just we just haven't been before. Nice. So yeah, a success. I Well, it feels like it. TBD, but it, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's insofar as like just interacting, I mean, like half of the people that came up, you know, said, you know, we love the, the podcast or YouTube or whatever, and we're just excited to meet me and Matthew, and I'm glad Jeff was there meeting people. But it was really affirming getting people to actually try stuff in person because you, you don't know. It, it's trial yeah. by fire on the on the show floor, and 
everything worked out and everybody really seemed to like the new Herculean Deluxe and everything seemed like a big success. So we'll see. Nice. Yeah, I think for me it was, you know, because I'm not a vendor and, and I don't I don't do things like, you know, play at booths. I, I learned my lesson on that the first NAM to not do that because you kind of and this is no shade to anybody that does do that. But my experience was you it's you can't really win because you can't hear anything really. You have to, you know, your volumes have to be low. It's loud. You can barely hear what you're playing and what you're doing. It's just, it's tough. So it's like best case scenario, you have a mediocre sounding performance at most booths, you know, um, and worst case scenario, you have a train wreck in front of a bunch of people. So I've learned to just <laughs> not do that. So for me, Nam is just sort of wandering around, meeting people, meeting fans of the channel, fans of the show, um, and seeing friends, you know, that's like the one time a year that I get to see people like Eli from Two Rock or Matt from Mule or Avi from Shabbat and and all these people that I've, you know, worked with and and have a, a relationship with now. It's like everyone's there and it's just it's cool. For me, though, gear wise, the, the big standout this year was the Two Rock divided by 13 um, mm-hmm. acquisition. I'm a big fan of both of those brands. I've, I My first divided by 13, my FTR 37, I bought that back in 20, like 15, 2016. I've known Fred for a few years now. And for me, that was something like, you know, I knew Fred was going to retire at some point, And I was really worried that he was going to sell to one of these sort of conglomerate amp brands that wouldn't really respect what he had built and what he had done. Cause the thing about divided by 13 is it's pretty much always just been Fred yeah. and those are his designs and, and you know, his amps. And um, that's part of what's made that brand so cool is the fact that it's just Fred for the most part, you know? And I was really worried that it was going to sell to one of these big corporate, you know, amp brands. And they were just going to kind of, do away with all that in the name of, you know, profits and trying to churn out as much product as possible. But uh, when I first heard that two rock or Eli and Mac were looking at getting it, you know, Eli called me about six months ago and asked, you know, what do you think about this? And I immediately was like, yes, this is perfect because what those guys do at two rock, I think complements the divided by 13 brand really, really well. And from a business perspective, it makes sense for two rock because they don't really make anything in the price point that divided by 13 exists in. And from a circuit perspective, from a tone perspective, they don't really make anything that divided by 13 does. So yeah. they, they're two brands that really complement each other in terms of the sound and, and the price points. And then also two rocks build quality is second to none. And I know that those guys over there are going to take what Fred did and build on it without losing the, uh, the thing that made divided by 13 special. I really love the, the Fred's amps and I love that brand and I love what he's built. And yeah, so I'm really happy to see that two rock is uh sort of the steward of the brand now. So it's funny that, that he, that you knew about it because we knew about it too. And Eli was like, don't say anything. So I didn't say anything to anybody. I didn't even say anything to you. Yeah. We didn't even talk about it. No. And so, <laughs> cause I was like, man, if he's telling me this, it's, 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 it's top secret. So I was, yeah. I really wanted to tell you because I thought, oh man, Rhett's going to love this, but I didn't yeah. want to let the cat out of the bag. Yeah. Like you can't do that because it's like when Mm-mm. someone entrusts you with that kind of knowledge, even though 
I knew you probably knew, but I didn't know for sure. And I didn't want to have to be like, hey, so did Eli tell you about the thing? And you're like, no, what thing? And I'm like, well, nothing, nothing. It's nothing. Don't worry about it. You know, because, yeah, so we uh, we did, kept Did it, you get a chance to play them at all? Uh, not the ones at now. I did go to Fred's shop when, uh, Wednesday before the show because oh, okay. it was kind of like, I think he's going to keep that shop there where he's at in Newport beach, but okay. you know, he, he's going to not, not be building amps anymore. So it was kind of me and, and my wife, Tilly and Tim Pierce went and hung out there for about an hour. And, um, you know, he's just, Fred's such a cool guy, such an interesting guy. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, yeah, I think, I think that's going to be the thing that we have the most differences in, in the show. Cause like I played, oh, I don't know like a handful of stuff. I didn't play hardly anything. I played um, the new Victory Deputy Amp and I played the new, um, the high-end Victory stuff that's kind of like the clean, which seems very, you know, uh, clean, big, Dumble-esque. And then the the Gain one, which is more like the Cornford uh, mm. amp, which was cool, but it, like I didn't, there wasn't enough room to let him breathe. Uh, yeah. But I didn't, I, I didn't get to play much stuff. I played a couple of things that I was interested in checking out. We ended up spending an hour or so at the Collings booth um, at the end of the second or third day. And it just sort of organically happened where it was like me, Samurai guitarist, Steve, um, Paul Davids, Mary Spender, and then um, Andy Wood came by. Uh, Jake Workman was there, which I was like, oh, my God, Jake. <laughs> a huge fan, huge fan of Jake Workman. So we all just kind of Collings had a great setup for that because they were pretty centrally located and then they had really comfortable chairs. So we just kind of took all their chairs and sat and were hanging out, just passing guitars around. And I played maybe five different Collings guitars, mm -hmm. electrics, and every single one of them was phenomenal. They had a JL there. They had the, what it was the I 30, which is like their ES three thirty. Yes. Right. Um, yeah, that was unbelievable. They had this new prototype hollow body thing there. So that really stuck out to me. Um, two bases. I really love the mule, uh, thunder base, I think it's called, or the, the thunder mule. So it's uh -huh. basically a metal P base. Yeah. Uh, was really rad. And then Avi Shabbat had this short scale, like Mustang base, but it had a Thunderbird pickup in it and that was sick I that's think I'm cool order one of those i played the 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 new victory um deputy amp which is like uh, danish pete's new thing um and it immediately plugged in and played it and it sounded very it sounded very danish pete <laughs> you know he has like a very specific tone and immediately was like oh that sounds that sounds just like him but i didn't get a chance to go around and play much you know i saw some of the new strandberg stuff because i'm a you know sucker for those things are so interesting uh, they're making a new model that doesn't have fan frets, um, but it has like the normal, you know, Strandberg body and headlessness. Um, but I think the thing that really floored me the most, and I hate to, I, like, I don't want to sound like I'm just, you know, kissing two rocks ass, but they lent me the studio signature for oh, my yeah. booth. And I never really spent, I'd played one like quick, but I'd never spent time with it. And man, just like right out of the gate, we plugged it in, turned it on. And it was like, Oh, that's perfect. We put the pedal board in front of it. Didn't have to do anything. We just turn it down because it was so loud. But man, it just like eight pedals. And we borrowed another one. And Dylan Adams, um, who had, was at the show, it was so great to to hang with him. Like we had a little jam, and it was uh, like you said, trial by fire and very nerve wracking when you're like, oh wait, what are the changes in this song? And someone's uh -huh. having to shout chords at you. 
uh, in, in like the world's loudest jam environment anyway. Uh-huh. Um, but man, it was really great. And I think that that was the biggest highlight of the show for me was getting to to really meet up with a lot of other great players like Dylan and and see him really being thrown to the wolves in, you know, the biggest collection of guitar nerds on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was cool. I hung out with Dylan quite a bit and um, it was cool seeing like a ton of people recognize him. And because we had just put out the uh, the whipping post video that Monday mm-hmm. on my channel. So uh, if you haven't seen it, we we did a version of whipping post with my band, Good Trouble. And Dylan sat in with us and just absolutely murdered <laughs> that song. And so people were coming up and we're like, dude, you killed it on the whipping post thing. And then Sunday, he and I ended up at the Shabbat booth together and. I just picked up that bass and started playing that bass. And we sat there for maybe half an hour, just me playing bass and him playing guitar. And it was that that's the way I like to jam with a guy like him is just sit there and lay, lay out a groove and let him do what he's going to do over it. It was, it was a good time. Yeah. So like circling back to Nam itself, like, what do you think, like, what was your experience of the show from like an attendee standpoint and where do you think it's going to go? Because I have some very specific views and, and a lot of concerns that I've already expressed to my NAM rep about next year. So I think it felt it's the closest to pre-pandemic NAM it has felt in terms of attendance. Mm-hmm. There was still some empty space in the in the show floor. There were not as many brands there. Um, which I don't necessarily think was a bad thing because it was still huge and overwhelming. And I still didn't get like, I didn't even go to the victory booth. I did I forgot to go by there. And, you know, there, there's just a few things that I missed. Um, yeah, I mean, I think next year, if the big brands come back, there's rumors that Fender will come back. And if Fender comes back, then Gibson and PRS will likely follow suit. Um, so I, I don't know, man. I mean, I think Nam as a show is still valuable. I actually ended up one of the, the board members of Nam came up to me on the floor and started talking. He's a fan of dipped in tone and a fan of the channel. And you know, he and I talked for about 15 minutes and you know, it seems to me that they are aware that some things need to change. Um, and I shared some of my opinions and what I thought should change. I think it should be a little bit more community focused, you know, um, bringing in some of those elements of a con type thing. But I think you probably disagree with that, right? Being a vendor. Well, you finish your thought and then I'll. So, <laughs> re- yeah, I mean, I think overall it. it felt good. I got what I was looking for at a NAM, which was the hang element. That's the only reason I go is just to see my friends and to hang out with people and strengthen those connections and those relationships. All the other stuff, the gear and all that stuff is just, it's fun. It's gravy on top. But yeah, it, that's the only reason I'm ever there. Yeah, I and and I think there's a lot of value in that having something that is like a con, like a comic con, uh, just some sort of guitar. Well, and and like we're 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 at least every time I talk about it, it's in such a narrow way because it's so much more than that. I mean, there's two buildings, you know, full of every piece of musical equipment um, on the planet. Um, but you know, I'm I'm strictly you know living in Hall D where all the guitar stuff is, and um, I think the like here's here's my big gripe, and this is what I expressed in my NAM rep, is that there's just so many people, uh yellow badges, that's the attendee badge. We that's what I, we were just saying, y'all here because you know, here's the yellow badges uh, you know, coming in on Saturday and Sunday. Um, they were there the whole time. When used to is more just like the the final day. 
Mm-hmm. And during the show, when you're actually trying to do business and show people things, and you're just flooded with people who, I mean, they have every right to be there. They bought a ticket or got a ticket. It's cool for them to come in and experience it, but it's hard to do business with the blue badges, the buyers, when you're just kind of swamped and being stopped or whatever by just attendees. So what I was hoping, and I think that they should really think about this, even though next year's NAM, they knocked off one day. So it's only three days uh, for next winter NAM. Um, I think they should, should, it should not be open to the public in the morning um, for, for at least a couple hours, you know, so buyers can come in. I think media should have time to come in because like we can go in early. uh, Like if you have a media badge, but then sometimes the exhibitors aren't there. And so what are you going to do to an empty booth? I mean, you could plug in and do stuff, but like, you know, that might not be uh, cool with them. So I feel like there needs to be a little more dedicated time in the mornings, just even if it's two hours to have people come in and do business so that you're not swamped and like having to maneuver around people who are just there to hang out, which is cool, like I said, but um, four days with that many attendees uh, and just people in general is too much. Um, yeah. By Sunday, I mean, we, we started packing up at like, I don't know, two o'clock um, and we still had like three or so hours to go because we were just done. And it was just people on the last day, they're just there to take as many pics and stickers and you know, swag as they can get their hands on. We had a guy that was just like making, he was just walking around and grabbing handfuls of pics every time. <laughs> and I stopped him and he like kind of got in my face about it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Dude. But you know, Ugh. you know, it's like, what are you going to do? But I think, I mean, that's, that's what I think. And I, you know, what do you think about something like that? I think it makes sense. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I mean, because at the end of the day, NAM as it exists now is a trade show and trade shows are there for vendors and buyers to meet and do business that's that's the whole reason that this show exists uh as it does now and so again i exist outside of that you know maybe that that might change perhaps by next year in some capacity but you know as it stands now i'm media so i'm there to just kind of take it in and see what's happening but you know i i I got an email from from Jean from PRS. I think they're kind of feeling out the waters a little bit. She was asking me, you know, what what did you think? What was your experience like? What you know? And I told her I was like, you know, it was overall it was good. It was about the hang, uh, but she mentioned the lack of content that's come out in the last uh, the following week about you know Nam stuff. And and mm-hmm. I told her I was like, look, you know, shooting videos on the Nam floor from my perspective is kind of pointless for the most part, you know, you have like premier guitar who's been doing it for 15 years and that's part of their brand and what they do. But for me as a YouTuber, I'm not going to do that because premier guitar already does that. So I'm not going to go around and start filming stuff at booths and, you know, stand there with you and put a microphone and say, all right, tell me about the, the new Herculean. What is it? Cause that's already going to exist or you're going to put content out about the Herculean. And right. it's so hard to get stuff to sound good there so from my perspective, I, I really wasn't anticipating shooting anything at NAMM. We ended up doing two videos, but they were just around NAMM. So I went to, to Tim's house and shot a video with him. And then my friend Chris Alvarado from Driftwood Guitars just happened to bring this beautiful acoustic because he was shipping it to Hong Kong. And so we shot a video with that. But, you know, those those happened because we were there at NAMM, but they were not NAMM videos. And, you know, I just... 
I don't know, maybe the audience, you guys can tell us in the comments section, like, are you interested in watching videos from the NAM floor about products and stuff? I feel like, you know, outside of Premiere Guitar, there's not anything I can add to that as a content creator that is going to be interesting or is going to do well enough on my channel to make it worth the effort of making it. So yeah, that's, it's, yeah. it's so hard to, to, to shoot stuff. I mean, like, I mean, the reason that guys like Premier Guitar and some of the other people that do it and they can do it well and efficiently is like, there's a team, you know, yeah. like if it was just you, if it was you and Tilly, even that is not quite enough to do everything you need to do quickly. Yeah. Um, I tried to be prepared. I had a, I brought a, an SM, 57, a mic cable, my zoom, a mic stand. So I was like ready to go. And that like for a few demos, people were like, Oh, you already have it and plugged in. It was great. Yeah. But like for your average booth, you know, there, they might not, uh, have any, they have to have the foresight to bring that stuff or their personality might not be very good. So it's hard to like talk to people and pull that out of them. Yeah. But like just the efficiency you have to have to shoot content. I mean, I saw, uh, the guitar geek, Andy, um, and he had like, did you see his, like a, he had like an AV cart? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's, I mean, that it's smart, but still yeah. it's just like, man, what, what, what work? Like, I mean, I think you're right. I think the day of like, like the, the, the reason why we, we watch all the premiere stuff is cause it's like, it, it's, it's part of our history is in the guitar community. It's like, oh yeah, new premiere guitar video from Nam. It's like, you always expect that, but everyone else is kind of like, eh, I don't know. You yeah, know. maybe this is a bit of a hot take, but if there's anybody watching that's trying to go to NAM next year and maybe you're trying to become a content creator or you want to grow, because I, I this is the first year too, I met a lot of TikTokers, you know, like Jordan Ooh. Jordan Wave and, and those guys were there. And, you know, I think, I think the short form thing works a little better for that style of content. But from what I saw, like they were just walking up and interviewing people. Like those guys asked me, like, what's the next forbidden guitar store riff or whatever. And that type of stuff is fun. Yeah. You know, or Paul Davids is making a video where he's asking a question to everyone that's there. That type of stuff works. But if you are an up and coming content creator, who's hoping to go to Nam, my recommendation would be not, to do that thing where you're walking around and trying to like shoot a bunch of Nam content because it works for premier guitar and the, the established brands that have been doing it for a long time, but it wouldn't work for me. Like people don't like, because it's the same booth and the same products. Like if, if premier came up and shot a video with you and then mm -hmm. I came up and shot a video with you, what's the point? Like it's, yeah. you know, so, um, to each their own, but my opinion is that I would rethink how you're doing Nam content if that's uh, if that's your approach. Yeah, and that that just the the talk of content was something that that we spent a lot of time talking to to all the other brands around us. I mean, like ne right across the aisle from us was Third Man. They didn't need you know what do they need? They don't need anybody to <laughs> yeah promote uh, their stuff really. Um, even though I think it's an interesting thing because I don't know if like. Uh, maybe the Donner pedal is at a bunch of stores. I know the Copper Sound stuff is, but it, you know, it kind of felt like a more like a traditional, um, like like a guitar show sort of booth instead of yeah. like a brand booth. Because you know, I, I don't know if you can order all that stuff. You can buy it from them, I assume. But um, like, I mean, this is something that I think 
you instilled in me and have been instilling in me over the past couple of years. And, and it really started with guys like Rob Chapman, uh, who I, you know, I got to see, I always like bump into Rob and it's like all of these brands, you need to film and do something to establish yourself. So people will come and see you. Cause the worst feeling in the world going to a trade show like this, if you're exhibiting is you spend, if you have a 10 by 10 booth, you're spending about four grand, you know, just on the space, on the square footage. And then all the travel, everything else. And if if you haven't pushed enough and no one's going to know who you are, you're just going to be standing there the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I, I mean, I talked to, I talked to a lot of guys, guys from crazy tube circuits, all of the, that could really play. They're really interesting dudes. They're fun to talk to. And then Loki um, from, from Polly, like that guy, best dressed dude at Nam. 100 yeah. percent yeah. always wearing like a velvet suit um freaking genius he does yeah. everything himself and like he's not making videos and i'm like you like have this gold mine of content you could be making to drive people into this booth and you got to do it yeah yeah i agree and and loki was one of those people on my list that i didn't get to see because it was just so i have to email him and say so sorry because i walked by a couple times but i was always on the way to something but yeah yeah you're right i mean this is how you have to think about it now as a business for better for worse you have to be present online on social media in a way that's unique to you and in a way that people can connect with you not just your product and yeah. I, you do see that a lot walking around the nam booth where there's people there that brought a, a product or something to the, the show, but they've done, I've never heard of them before. They've done no promotion. They're not on social media. And you're just kind of like, well, what it, it's a, it is a little sad <laughs> to like see somebody yeah. standing there at a booth with no one coming around and no one hanging out. And it's just the lay of the land now, man, you, you have to be present and engaged on social media and you have to find a way to make it work for you. Um, so Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's the thing that we're going to see the biggest change in the next couple of years. And and I think that's something that Nam should maybe try to embrace too, like connecting more uh content creators with with um brands in their space, you know, that they're interested in. We I mean, we have such a wealth of connection there. Maybe. I mean, I I don't know. I typically I like Nam to be as hands off as possible with well maybe not know. any like maybe just introductions and like maybe yeah th maybe there should be a hang night where it's like you know here's here's you know brands and and people and we could all just get together or even if it was in the in the show itself I don't know well, as long as it's not like the creator night then well that's, <laughs> that's a whole other discussion should, should we talk about any of our no, the shortcomings of Nam or any of our our bad experiences this time or should we just leave that I uh, had we're I had getting a, a strong of... nod yes. I had a couple of weird experiences. Um, I'm I'm trying to to parse through them and and be you know slightly political. I uh okay so one okay all right <laughs> I'm not gonna name the brand okay but I I will never forget this brand it's a big big brand okay so Wednesday night the show hasn't even started yet and you know there's a spot in one of the hotel lobbies that we we all found and it was kind of the secluded spot where you could sort of get away and just hang with your friends have a few drinks there's couches it's quiet it's away from everything sure. i'm sitting there it's tilly and i and chris from driftwood guitars who i've known since i was 16 and we haven't hung out a lot in the past and so we were there and we were in the middle of a pretty like 
deep conversation. And, and uh, my manager, Steve was there, who's a, a great friend of mine. And we were just like having a really good, deep, emotional conversation about some stuff, about some personal stuff. Sales guy from big brand in a suit walks over in the middle of the drink or in the middle of the, the meeting with a drink in his hand and literally interrupts Chris. Chris is sharing this like really emotional thing. He goes, Hey man, good to meet you. I, I love your stuff. I love, I've watched hundreds of your videos, dude. Uh, just was wanted to say hi, uh, love what you do. Love your content. We're here with so-and-so we're doing content here. So I was thinking that maybe you should come over and shoot some content with us on the floor. And he literally said content about 12 times. And I was like, cool, man. Yeah. Thanks. You know, trying to be nice, but send the message of, Hey, now's not the time. And then he stands there. He goes, so what are you doing here? I'm like, we're just hanging out, man. It's like, Oh yeah, cool, cool, cool. Again, dude, love your content, dude. Your content's just the greatest. I've seen hundreds of your videos. And uh, so, so you have any plans? You're going to shoot anything here? I'm like, just hanging out, man. And each time I said it, I would get shorter and shorter. He goes, yeah, cool, cool, cool. So anyways, uh, we've got this new thing coming out. I think it'd be perfect for the type of content that you, I'm not exaggerating, <laughs> type of content that you do. Uh, it's this thing that, that I'm like, all right, man. And the part of it too was like, he was, we were sort of sit, seated in a circle and he stepped in between Chris and Steve, like <laughs> stepped up to like completely blocking them. And, oh, no. and he's like, yeah. So, uh, so you got any other plans while you're here? Asked the same question again. I was like, just hanging out, man. God. And at this point I'm staring at him like, dude, now's not the, the time he gave me his card. And then, uh, anyway, yeah, dude, love to see you at the booth. Come by we're booth, blah, blah, blah. We got this new thing. You should check it out. You're going to love it, dude. And then, and then walked off and uh. immediately it was like, okay, I will, uh, never be doing business with this big brand because of that guy. So oh, there's no. a few interactions like that for me, man. I had, I had two that, well, there's was, was three. The Wednesday we had just set up and we got all the stuff, got the amp, got it mic'd up. And I was like, okay, uh, the Herculean deluxe is being announced. It's not shipping, but it's being announced tomorrow. So let's make a short. And so I, we, we mic'd up the amp, got everything going. We're going to film it just on our phone real quick and dirty, just mic'd up well. And there's a guy from another company that came up and introduced himself. Like, right. I have a guitar on, like the guy's like holding cameras, getting ready to film me, like walks <laughs> into the booth is talking to me. I'm like, well, we're about to do this thing, man. So I'll, you know, I'll catch you later. And uh, he was like, cool. And then he just backed up and stared at me. And I like, I, I feel like I'm a confident guitar player, but like the red light fever is one thing, but someone just <laughs> mm -hmm. locked eyes with you and watching you intently I can't, I can't do anything. And I straight up told him, I was like, man, uh, I need you to leave because <laughs> yeah. I, I can't do this. Yeah. Uh, I will, I will, you know, come back by during the show. And that was like, like people that can't read the room. And then the worst, the worst is when there are people, I don't know how this happened. This didn't used to be the case, but brands can now, uh, walk in with like samples of stuff in their bag yeah, and walk up to you and bring you stuff. And there was people coming to our our booth, like, hey, you know, I don't know if you want to like plug this in or do it. I was like, no, this is this is my booth, this mm -hmm. is my space that I paid a lot of money to be here for. I'm not plugging in your thing. Like, I'm sorry, but like, just have a little etiquette 
and it, read it the comes room. across as pretty desperate. I, it I does. had a couple of people come up to me and be like, Hey, I've got this product and I, I'm here leaking this new thing. And this is what it does. Would you please, can you make a, like somebody asked me to like pull my phone out and shoot. Well, like an Instagram story of their uh, thing. And I was like, oh, man, I'm really sorry. I'm not interested. I had someone physically, I was walking by a booth and someone physically grabbed me and pulled me into the booth and was like, I'm not letting you leave until I get a picture with you. And this, it, it was a brand I've never worked with or done anything with before, but like literally physically put their hands on me and grabbed me and pulled me into the thing and then took the picture and was like, all right, man, see ya. And then it's like, okay, so what, uh, there's a moment and because I, I made a little quick like we did like a roundtable discussion of Nam here at the shop and and then I did a little montage of all the stuff that I filmed just like walking around just like quick and dirty. But the, I, I, I saw you on the show and I walked up behind you and like got your attention. And before you turn around and realize it was me, there's this moment of intense fear in your eyes <laughs> about who is it because I think you could probably see the camera before you, before you can see my face. Uh, it was, it's really funny to me. But anyway, I think all in all. We had a good NAM time. Uh, yeah. We're we're going to do it again, I assume, next year. I think the big thing for us is knowing whether or not we need to have a 10 by 10 or a 10 by 20 booth because it felt like at times our booth was not big enough. Yeah. But well, I don't know. It's a lot of money. We'll figure that out. But before we move on to, to dipping a rig in shills, I think we need to discuss one thing, and that is the Christie's Mark Knopfler guitar auction. Because We can touch on this quick. We don't have to go through okay. all of it. Yeah. Yeah, but it's insane. This. this is ridiculous. <laughs> so I've got, I've got the website pulled up here. So the auction was yesterday yeah. as when we're filming this. Mm -hmm. So you can see, I've just got the highlights pulled up and you can see the guitars and you can see what the estimate was and what they actually sold for. So the first one here, just as an example, an ovation. Uh, what model is this? It just says who made it and where they're from, but it's like one of the standard, you know, ovation. It's a, cla a classic. classic. Okay. It's a 79. So that's, you know, right. it's an OG, but still. Estimate, and this is in pounds, British pounds, 3,000 to 5,000 pounds. What sure. do we think it sold for? Chat, uh, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I know because I'm looking on the website. I bet you wouldn't have guessed it sold for 126,000 pounds. <laughs> I mean, okay, so I was watching this auction. I didn't watch all of it, but I watched a good portion of it. And, like, some of these things sold for insane money, and they sold for even more insane money if there was, like, a photo of Mark playing it or mm -hmm. anything like that. Because just to, uh, in the same, another instrument that sold for 126,000 pounds was a, like, 90s Corona Strat that had, like, lipstick pickups put in it. And I thought, when it first came up, I was like, you know, it's a modern Corona, you know, California made strat. It's not going to go crazy, but he had played it on tour with Bob Dylan and there was photos of him on stage with it. And it, it sold for $126,000. It's just insane. But I think the thing that is so wacky to me out of all these instruments that are sold, like his burst, it sold for uh 693, pounds. That, that seems reasonable. Like, sure. I, I mean, well, <laughs> well, I mean, it, in the grand the scheme of, of the guitar and, and on top of it being a burst. Right. So I would, I, that seems reasonable because of the burst is already going to get you in the 400,000 ish range. And then the, yeah. the provenance of dire straits and Mark Knopfler, like I, I get that. Yeah. And, and then his Pensa Sur is 88 Pensa Sur, very famous guitar. He played it a lot. A lot of his guitars from back in the day that he played either on, on stage or, or in videos or whatever. Yeah. Those went for big, big money, but the guitar 
that really boggles my mind is his 80, let's see, is it an 83? The Schecter? No, no, no. An 83 Les Paul reissue. <laughs> it's like one of the earliest like reissues. Uh, Dude. 592,000 pounds. So I, I'm pretty sure we were talking about it before the show and you cr- chat, correct me if I'm wrong in the comment section. I believe that's the guitar uh, in Money for Nothing in the video money for nothing. Sure. So there's some provenance there. But <laughs> this is an 83 Les Paul. I know it's like 41 years old. Uh it's just it's crazy <laughs> that <sighs> it like I I I I was around when we've sold bursts for less than that. <laughs> I don't so okay, how do you feel about this? Because I have a lot of emotions. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's it's a bit silly. I mean, you know, I I understand his his burst and his sir. I mean, the sir is a lot of money, sure. but still, like, what an iconic instrument. And and that guitar being in arguably one of the most you know recognizable riffs and music videos, like you know, what an iconic song. But just you know, from pure instrument standpoint, I feel like it's a bit crazy. It's just about the the saying you have it, and that's awesome. Like, good for you. But is it awesome? And I don't know. I mean. I don't- I don't think that's awesome. I think that kind of sucks, actually. <laughs> I, I I don't understand. Well, it's not that I don't understand it. Uh, there's something that really rubs me the wrong way about this elitist collector culture. You spent almost, well, after, you know, I'm sure after fees and everything like that, this this 83 Les Paul went for over 600,000 pounds because it was it what do you say hammered or whatever at 592 yeah i don't know how all the so there's probably buyer's fees and all kinds of stuff tacked on to the end of that plus taxes and all this other kind of stuff it's like i'm not gonna get political because this is not a political show but no please don't really really rubs me the wrong way man when someone spends that much money on something look i get it right if that guitar would have sold for fifty thousand pounds i would get that right sure yeah the provenance you know but over half a million pounds, over half a million dollars for something that is famous, arguably, again, because one of the greatest guitar players of all time. And, and I understand the provenance, but dude, this is too much money. And for someone to have this much money that that they can just spend this on on something like an 83 Les Paul that Mark Knopfler owned is just insane to me. It is insane. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild and it, it was it yeah in the literature on the page it says was in the music video um but still yeah no I, you know i i i know i, I agree <laughs> i think it's, it's it's pretty wild but for i think for I me it's know. the same thing that that pisses me off about scalpers uh, you know people oh, that sure. buy buy pedals they only got to that, immediately put it on reverb for four times the price. They it's got like, that new gold, uh, gold electro harmonics, uh, big muff and uh, immediately scalping them. Yeah. <laughs> I, if I'm sorry, but that, that sucks, dude. Scalpers suck. You're, you're doing nothing. You're, you're not adding anything to the, the conversation. You're not benefiting the community. You're not giving anything back. You're just taking something. I, and I, that really I, pisses me off. And and I feel kind of the same way about this stuff. Again, I understand the provenance of it. You know, when David Gilmore auctioned off all his guitars a few years ago, you know, what his the the Black Strat sold for 4 3 million, 3.4 something a like lot, that. A lot. A lot. That I understand. 
It's like the sure. strat. It's Gilmore's strat. And then on top of that, he donated it all, I believe, to climate change research, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a noble cause. Like that's that's great. I don't know what Mark Knopfler's doing with all these proceeds. You know, it's uh, up to him. I don't have any Yeah, no less than twenty five percent went to uh the British Red Cross Red Cross Society. And he did there was like a there was a a, a more modern Gibson that he had signed by like I mean, the biggest rock and roll gods ever. And it raised $400,000 and all of that went to to charity. And I mean, that's great. I don't know. And uh, here's what I hope. I hope someone bought this guitar and they're going to play it for the rest of their life and love and adore it. And, and like, if it makes them happy, then that's fine. You know, I sure. said, but it is, it is a bit wild to think. And, and, and all the instruments, uh, like the, just go to the, the Christie's website and look at it. I mean, they're beautiful, beautiful instruments all over this thing. But the prices are pretty wacky. And the, the, the one thing that I hope doesn't happen is it gives someone else uh, who has like vintage pieces that might be similar to this a big head about how much they're worth because <laughs> yeah, you're not yeah. Mark Knopfler. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So, again, like I, I agree with you. I hope that whoever spent the money on that 83 Les Paul, it's like it's they're prized. They're going to love it. And it's going to be, you know, the centerpiece of their collection. But yeah. let's be honest. These these people that are spending this kind of money on this sort of stuff probably aren't i'm speculating here you know well i don't know who knows (sighs) well i don't know man after just being around some of the vintage stuff and and around some of these collectors and these collections a a lot of times and this is a blanket statement this doesn't represent all vintage guitar collectors but a lot of times it's just a tax shelter it's it's a place (laughs) to put your money and to hide your money and and that just I don't know. I don't like it. I just don't like it. <laughs> well, I don't like it. I'm let's play, let's cleanse our palate from that and let's dip a rig because we got a good well, one. One more one more point on that. Before okay, okay, okay. So speaking of the vintage stuff, so there was a vintage show during Nam in uh, Costa Mesa. I was going to mm-hmm. go, but got too caught up. But um, Gabriel Bergman, yes. friend of Premier Guitar, uh, went and he was just he was posting pictures of stuff at the show. And dude, the prices are. They're insane now. I mean, vintage yeah. guitar prices have always been high. I mean, it's a they've or not always, but they've they've been creeping up over the last couple of years. But now it just seems like people are just pulling numbers out of their ass and sticking them on these guitars or these pieces of gear in hopes that someone's going to come along and pay it. And it's like, it's wacky. I don't know what what. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's something that we've seen over the past. I mean, over the past couple of years, and I think what I think basically what we're seeing is the tail end of everyone. Uh, coming down off of the high that was um, lockdown. I mean, like we're starting to normalize because everything had a huge boom uh, during that time. Prices, you know, like b- prior to uh, 2020 and so, like you could get 70s uh, Fenders Gibsons for, I mean, like not much more than like a new guitar, which yeah, I don't think is, <laughs> I don't think they're worth that. But now they're they're insane. Jazzmasters insane. Like everything has gone way up. Les Paul's vintage tellies and strats are always going to be high, but they have started to really creep up there. And I don't know. I, I it, it's it's such a strange thing. But the one thing about the guitar market, and we've seen this over and over, it ebbs and flows. And there, like, there are going to be a lot of people that paid big money for collectors items that if it's just something to invest in, they might lose quite a bit because there were a lot of, I mean, that happened to a lot of people a number of years ago. Yeah. I mean, I hope not, but for, for their sake, but like, I don't know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't equate. And I don't think, 
I think a lot of people buy these guitars with the intention of flipping them and making like big money. And that's usually not the case. Uh, Joe Bonamassa has talked a lot about like that not being true. Uh, I mean, he's an enigma in the guitar space <laughs> anyway, in the collector's <laughs> world. But it, it's it's odd that that prices are so insane. But I, I didn't see anything from the Amigos show, so I don't really know kind of where they were sitting. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was nuts. All right. Okay. That's you, enough enough of that. Okay. We're gonna dip a rig. We're gonna dip a really good rig. So we got a rig from William here. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty pretty cool. So uh this is Will Fisher's rig. And uh he said he, he's sending us an updated picture of one of his rigs. He he says, I just play at home because I'm a big loser. No, you're not. Come on, man. <laughs> no, you're not, dude. <laughs> so what we appreciate got, the self-deprecating humor. Oh, I mean, I love that. I, I you <laughs> know, I'm I'm my own worst enemy. Um so we've got a Soldano SLO thirty in snakeskin with a matching two by twelve cab. Uh and his two favorite guitars are a nineteen seventy ES three thirty five and a two thousand seven master built broadcaster, which is some sick. engraving on the on the cover there is that is that what that oh no no i'm just seeing the reflection of the carpet i don't no I don't yeah to be fair my is. picture right now is a bit potato quality so that's just the carpet okay it looked like <laughs> I think that's the looked like fancy engraving um, on my screen but yeah so the broadcaster and then his pedal board is pretty sick he's got a, a king tone fuzz a little mesa boogie buffer after the fuzz he's got the rev tilt uh sean um tubs his signature overdrive hot cake and then uh, a Sabadius, Sabadius, funky vibe, mm-hmm. timeline, a new neighbor, reverberator, and a polytune. And then uh, another um, Mesa buffer into an effects loop. So, or I guess I guess all the timed effects are in the effects loop. So, yeah. great rig. I mean, like, man, you can do a lot with this rig, for sure. Yeah, this will cover some ground, for sure. Um Love the fuzz. Did I ever give yours back? I brought yours back, right? I think you did. Yeah. You let me borrow that. Okay. Um, I enjoyed my time with that thing. It was it was pretty rad. Um, I love seeing the hot cake on the board. I have one. It's actually on my board right now that was gifted mm-hmm. to me by uh, Lost in Crystal Canyons on Instagram. Right. You guys don't follow them. You should. Really, really cool account. Um, I I know the hot cake was really sought after for a while. Are they still pretty uh, pretty hot? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that's it's. I mean, geez, he's been making those pedal since like 79 or something so they've been around for a while and and he he only sells them like in small batches so they're, they're still pretty sought after a great circuit interesting yeah they're i love mine i've been enjoying playing it recently um man slo 30 killer amp i have the 100 slo 100 in it it kills it's so good you have I, the 30 right i have the 30 and i really like it i i think that it um it does a lot it's kind of it's a little it's a bit stiff you know but uh, it does sound really good, and and it, the master volume works, so you can you know tune it to any space you're playing. And I, I don't know, I just run mine. I barely use the overdrive channel. I just put it you know in the pushed um, like normal channel, and sounds awesome. That overdrive's pretty sick, though. It is. <laughs> yeah, I've been using mine a lot recently to record with. I just I, I have the four twelve with it too, so I put the four twelve in the other room and mic it up and. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah, I, whenever I do go to that's usually when I've got the the Kirk Hammett guitar, so I dump the mids and then chug Man, chug a look. That's, that's what I used on um, both videos we did with Dylan, the Great Gig in the Sky and Whip and Post. I was playing my Soldano in both of those, and it was cool because I just have the the channel switcher foot pedal, so 
I didn't use any overdrives or anything. I just switched channels and then hit it with a fuzz. And mm-hmm. it's it's really versatile being able to go from really nice, big, big, clean sounds to super saturated, you know, fat compressed overdrive sounds all in the amp. It's pretty great. And it's got a nice effects loop as well. I mean, it's a it's a classic. It's a classic amp. There's yeah. a reason those things were all over L.A. in the 80s when uh, when they came out, you know, for sure. All right. So 1970, yes, 335. Yep. Yeah. Very like big Larry Carlton vibes with that color uh-huh. and the witch hat knobs. Great guitars. They have the more narrow nut uh, most of the time, but you know, Hey, yeah, that's matter. a love or hate thing. I, I can't get along with the narrow nut personally, but some people it, love it. They're all different. And it's funny. Like everyone kind of like just assumes it's all one and nine sixteenths, but I've played a lot of them because when, when we redid the site for Carter drink, I, I took a caliber, a calip, caliber, caliper to every guitar that would have had like that sort of nut. And there were some that were like one in 10 sixteenths or whatever that, you know, denomination rounds to. And um, like you can really feel it. It's amazing how such a small variance is so noticeable to your left hand. But yeah. I don't mind it. I used to hate it. It felt like a broomstick, but it doesn't it doesn't so much now. Yeah, I just I can't I can't get on with it. When I bought my 65 SG a couple years ago, the the biggest selling point for me was that it was the wide nut cuz in 65 that's when they started to introduce the transition the nut and yeah. some of the stuff and um yeah. All right, Telly, master built. I can see the flame on that neck from here even in potato quality. I mean, that's a <laughs> that's a flamey neck. Yeah, it's cool. I like it. Um I I've kind of been wanting a Telly, but I don't know. We'll we'll get to that one of these days. Yeah, you should have one for sure. I think that's a guitar everyone should have in their arsenal. Um, interesting choice to leave the bridge cover on it. I wonder if that's just for the picture, maybe, or if they uh, if they actually play it like. I don't really know anybody that actually plays it with the cover. I don't know. I like I like the ashtray cover on it, but yeah. So overall, this is a killer rig. Uh, If I was going to change anything. I'd maybe change the layout of the board a little bit, but that's that's kind of getting nitpicky, you know? I mean, there's plenty of room to grow into that board if you wanted to add a couple of things. Maybe maybe you think about adding some other, maybe like a phaser chorus kind of situation if you're into that, you know? Sure. Um, both the guitars are great. Love the amp. This is a 9.2 Shoils for me. Yeah, I think I see the one spot kind of hanging behind the board for convenience sake of playing at home. I get it. But mount that thing under the board and I'm right there with you. I give it a I give it a nine nine point three. Yeah. So I've got one of my shill or I got a shill. Um the fine folks at Crazy Tube Circuits gave me one of their superconductors and it's got uh like a range master, an EP boost, a like a micro amp and then a MOSFET boost, like a super hard on all in one. And it has a fat mode and nine or 18 volts. It sounds really good. And it's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Super neat. So these guys are like the look of their stuff too. Like they've got a cool aesthetic and, um, I mean, that's kind of the one boost to do it all right. Like you've got everything you need there and nothing you don't. Yeah. I like it. So we're going to put this through its paces here at the shop. Nice. All right, mine's a little different. Uh, this shill I bought and paid for full price, but I'm really excited about it. I bought an Electron Digitact or Digitact, depending on how you want to say it. Yeah. I've been watching videos on these for years and years, and recently I've gotten more into like synthesis and some electronic music production. If you don't know what this is, this is basically a sampler slash groove box. So you can 
do all kinds of, uh, you know, drum grooves, sample based stuff, synth stuff with this. Um, I'm still learning how to use it. It's got a pretty steep learning curve for someone who's just getting into this kind of stuff, but I'm really, really stoked on it. And you'll like this being a mechanical. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. You like that? <laughs> like that sound. It feels, it's just so satisfying to use and it sounds good. It does this thing where when you bring samples into it, it kind of darkens them a little bit. And yeah, so I, I'm ready for that lo-fi and chill, like Rhett and chill, like Spotify <laughs> yeah, channel. I, Tilly got me one of the KO2s for Christmas, the teenage engineering, and that yeah. just like opened a whole a wormhole for me of all this kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, but please do that. Please just make one track for me and I'll just listen to it. on <laughs> <Okay>. loop. <laughs> I'll do it. Nice. <laughs> well, so uh, yeah. Again, thanks to our patrons over on Patreon. Thanks for supporting the show. If you want to learn more about that, uh, check out the link in the description below. And thanks to Stumac for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to check out stumac.com slash dipped in tone to get 10% off of your order and uh, go get you some stuff to take care of your guitars as we transition from uh, winter to spring or start to transition here in the South. You people up North, you got a little ways to go, but yeah, we're, we're starting to, the light is at the end of the tunnel for us. So uh yeah. Yeah. Awesome, guys. All right. 100 episodes, y'all. Thanks for watching. Thanks for subscribing. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>